morning. It's Tuesday, April 4th, 2017, and this is the Red Sea Roundup. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Deacon Mike Beauvais. Today, we're going to have an additional pleasure. Rather than having one guest, we're actually going to have two guests. Uh, the first guest will be Father Uche Obequello. He is from St. Charles Borromeo Catholic Church in Kingsland, Texas, but most of you will probably know him because he was here at St. Thomas Aquinas for a while. And welcome, Father Uche. Thank you very much. <laughs> nice to be back home here in Kingsland and uh, Aggieland. It's great to have you. Uh, in a little while, we'll also then talk to Deacon Frank Ashley, who is still at St. Thomas Aquinas, and we're going to talk about marriage preparation. But first, we would like to talk about Father Uche's newest book, The Chronicle of the Catholic Faith, Reflections. There you go. Uh, how did you get to write this book? What made you decide we needed this? First of all, I'm very grateful to God, our Lord Jesus Christ, and our Blessed Mother. Um, this book came about because um, the social media has become such a powerful means of communication today in our world. Even our Pope Emeritus mentioned that. Our present Pope Francis also mentioned that about using the media for evangelization. So in 2014, when I began to use the social media, I prayed that it should be a means by which God shall be glorified, by which the world will come to know God more through my own effort, not that I'm only one. But that's what I believe. So when I began to write, most of the things I'm writing about, about 95% was on the church and the liturgical activities. So especially on the short homilies that I normally post on the pastor's corner of the bulletin, when I post those, People's response are tremendously amazing. Many said their lives have been transformed. Others said they can use that for their prayers and daily reflections. Priests, because I normally post it also sometimes as early as Friday, so that they can also get into a bulletin before then. And they said, they use them sometimes for their homilies, part of the United States of America, Europe, and Africa. And uh, it doesn't mean that I'm very smart, but it means the word of God flowers. And today, they said to me, a few of them, Father, sometimes we cannot go back to go and get any of those things you have reflected upon. Could you put it in a kind of a book so it can be handy and we can have it? That's why you're having the book in your hand today. The Facebook posts you have put out a lot of times aren't your complete homilies. They're shorter versions of it. And does the book contain both complete homilies or is it mostly just your Facebook posts, the shorter versions? The, the, the book actually contains only the shorter versions. If I had to give my expanded homily on Sunday... I think I might write volumes about 1,000 pages. 
He wouldn't like that at all. So if I'm going to borrow your homilies, I'm going to have to look at the pastor's corner rather than just looking at the book. Well, uh, in a way, that could be the case. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that uh, some of the ideas from those homilies in shorter form appear in the book, that you're just not doing the expansive homily. You're just providing some of the bite-sized pieces. Yes, sir. Those are, you know, side-bite pieces actually in a short form, you may like, is actually the microcosm. It is a shorter form of the microcosm of what they receive on Sunday. But I don't think anything is lost. Otherwise, the feedback I received from the members of the clergy, the beautiful lady members, and non-Catholics would not have been so much amazing. What audience did you plan this book for? Who do you think would be greatly interested in reading this? Well, primarily, um, I want to be honest with you and to my audience, I'm a Roman Catholic priest. My primary audience is the Catholic Church, okay? But as a Catholic, we are all Christians. Other Christian bodies and denominations also can read them. Some who may have misconceptions about the teachings of the Catholic faith can be amazed that, oh, Aha, moment might come when they're going to say, oh, I never thought that the Virgin Mary was not being worshipped. Oh, Virgin Mary actually has been chosen by God in the first place. If we are talking about the Immaculate Conception, 8th of December, somebody who reads that is going to say, I was thinking before, these Catholics are kind of crazy. They're worshipping Virgin Mary. And God says, in the Old Testament, don't worship anybody. We do not worship her, but if God has chosen her in the first place to be the mother of his son, we got to honor her. We pray to God through her. And they're going to be able to be very joyful to realize such a simple but deep analysis of their faith. So, the primary goal to get the Catholics strong, firm in their faith in the midst of this challenging secularism that is actually ravaging our society today and our world. From the postings on Facebook of a lot of the stuff that uh, you have in this book, what kind of feedback have you gotten? Has it been positive? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, okay, well, since I do, I'm the one that normally writes, there are people that have given commentary. Um, I don't want to read a lot of them, but somebody has written and said, you know, Father Uche, without your writing today, I would have been in a very sad mood. When I spoke about the faith one time, a very dear Catholic responded to the general audience Father, that was about Abraham giving up everything without knowing where he was going. But he trusted in God. When I wrote that and unpacked it and expanded it, this person wrote me on the Facebook response and said, I have been downcast. I was asking myself, why am I in this darkness? 
in this mood of desolation. But when he, she read it, she was energized spiritually and came back to the herself and went to church. This particular one, because of time and other testimonies, actually have been so much encouraging and inspiring. Which brings me to the next question. You gave one example. What are you wanting your readers to come away with by reading this book? Today in our society, um, our world is now occupied by noise. If you look at the back of the book, it says meditation in silence before the celebration of the Eucharistic banquet, the Holy Mass is a golden virtue. Of course, that's my quote. Now, what does that entail you? Silence is very necessary now in our society so that we can hear what God is telling us. This book here was not just a book written for the sake of writing. It was a book written after many reflections and then deeper prayer so that those who will come to read it will not only find deeper meaning in their faith, but also love God and love their neighbor. And primarily, you may have heard about one of the good old, would I say, an ancient Catholic book, The Imitation of Christ by Thomas A. Kempis. Thomas A. Kempis, actually, though the book is very, very mystic, but very beautifully written, challenging. This is not too much challenging, but if you open the book right away, you are either on the second Sunday in honorary time, or you are on Christ the King, the King of the Universal, or you are on the Saint of St. Peter and Paul. Any of those can be very inspiring. They can become prayer for you, and they will speak to you, and God will have a way to help you be closer to him. That is actually what this book will do for those that we have the privilege and opportunity to read it. Thank you. Uh, before we came on the air, we talked a little bit about the difference between writing a homily and writing a brief reflection, even though you're talking about the same material, Yes. to post on Facebook. Sure. How would you describe that difference? There's actually a big difference in writing just on the social media, on the Facebook, and also writing for the homily you give. It might surprise some people that when I want to post on Facebook, first of all, my intent is prayer. My intent is to communicate the word of God to the wider audience. I write spontaneously. I reflected, but I use I wasn't using any book to see, oh, let me type this, let me type that, except where there is a need for clarification. 
if I needed to quote what the church does or catechism or the documents of the church like Second Vatican Council or the canon law, then I, I can look up for that one. But generally speaking, I write because I believe that what I'm writing is what I believe that is coming from the Holy Spirit. And I read that way. However, if I were to write the homily that I give on Sunday, I will sit down, get the homiletics books, you get some references, get the scripture, then get any materials around that can help you to write that down. These are very big difference between the writing of such little reflections on the Facebook and then the homily given in the church on Sunday or on a solemnity. One of the comments Bishop Barron made about, he posts a lot of YouTube videos, and he said that one of the things that he was surprised at is the negative feedback (laughs) and how much he actually enjoyed responding to the negative (laughs) feedback. Have you gotten any negative feedback about your posts? Well, I will ask you the question. Tell me a man who has not gotten any any criticisms in life, then I will tell you one who has. I have gotten those of those uh, negative feedbacks that are, yes, you know, sometimes as human, we might be tempted to kind of be disillusioned or feel somehow. But each, each individual comes from a particular place. Each person feels a particular way. Likewise, one who preaches preaches because he believes that he's preaching the word of God, not his own word. There was a particular time, this is very sensitive because of the nature of it, but it's going to be true. Um, I, if I could refer to the work or encyclical in the 1880s by St. Pope John Paul II, in Latin it says, Dignitatis humane, the dignity of the human beings. He was referring about you and I, made in the image of God and likeness. Everybody should be respected, life should be honored. Now, when the issue of immigration and abortion came up, we must go according to church teachings, our Holy Father does that so beautifully. Our Bishop Jovaskes also does that. And the point I want to make is that the immigration are about human beings. And we have to handle it with respect for the human beings. But at the same time, abortion is also about human beings. But the difference here is the baby in the womb is caged. The baby does not have any right. Any, no, does not have anybody to help her or him. Is at the mercy of one who wants to abort him or her. But the guy who actually is on immigration, on anybody, anywhere, can ask for the help of a lawyer. And he can choose not to go anywhere. I'm just trying to say that, but when I put that out there, I got very big, black, you know, serious 
you know, backlash. Somebody was calling me names, thinking that I'm against what the church is saying. I said, no, I didn't want to go there, but to show you how it was, because he misunderstood that, because he came from a particular perspective, he did not understand that the baby in the womb who was being aborted couldn't run away. She's chained inside the womb. Then, but somebody who wanted to get into another country can decide to or not and can you know, hire a lawyer. It may interest you to know that it wasn't I that responded to him deluge of responders were able to explain those to him. Usually when I write, I don't want to write as a person who is kind of, you know, trying to fight for argument's sake. I write for the sake of the message and the gospel and the teachings of the church. Like I made it very clear, our Holy Father, very compassionate, our Bishop Joe Vasquez, very compassionate, you know, is the president for the immigration. So they are speaking about the well-being of the human being and be welcoming them. But at the same time, we cannot actually deny the fact that the babies in the womb deserve also right to live. And uh, this is an example of how complex Catholic social teaching is. It is not one, uh, one facet. It is multifaceted. That's why many priests are running away from it. <laughs> I tell you. Maybe somebody's going to be calling me after this conference, <laughs> this interview. <laughs> but the church is always truthful and always beautiful. Christ has not left the church, and Christ promised, I will be with you always to the end of time. Comforting words. What other books do you have in the works or out there that are available to our readers or listeners? Well, last year... You may know my first book you know, about two years ago was on our blessed mother, who I dedicate my vocation to. She was the reason why I'm a priest today, because she interceded for me as my faith on behalf to her own son. The book is called Mary, the Mediatrix of God's Grace, my call to the Roman Catholic priesthood and other biography. And the second one was very beautiful for the millennials and some Catholics who may have left the Catholic faith. It says, it is a privilege to be Catholic. A privilege to be Catholic. We should not forget it. Then the other one, the last one now, which we are talking about, is the one we are th- it says is the chronicle of the Catholic faith. The chronicle of the Catholic faith. Now, it means also reflection. So there are three books right now available. If you can get to the website. Yes, w- the yeah, website can- is www.fatheruchemarybook.org. And that's uh, uh, all one word, F-R-U-C-H-E-M-A-R-Y-B-O-O-K.org. Yeah, you can even... Get there, and then you're going to see different uh, religious stores where there are and uh, different parts of the diocese where there are. And also you can uh, be able to get some discounts on the book. Primarily, the book actually was meant for spiritual food. It's not just for the monetary good. 
However, some chunk of that proceed from the book is used to help the poor and the struggling the widows in Africa. So the so part of the proceeds go to a good cause. So uh, if this interview's made you interested, get on the website, order the book, and um, it has some very insightful um, commentaries in there, and uh, I think everybody will really enjoy reading those. Before we uh, leave, is there anything that you would like to tell our listeners I would like just to say to the listeners, you know, first of all, I thank um, the Red Sea Radio for the great work of evangelization you are doing here. You have actually captured many souls. And as we do it, we remember that it was this time of the year, last year, when God called a lady, you know, seeing a mother Angelica of EWTN. This morning, as I was, you know, going through my prayer and then checking out the website for the Vatican, some of the bereaved members of the EWTN in Rome went and visited the Holy Father Emeritus, Pope Benedict XVI, and Pope encouraged them and was able to say, good job for the EWTN. And I think by extension, I say good job to Red Sea Radio, your president, you know, he's there just winking, <laughs> Danny Kamaka. And to you also, uh, wonderful Deacon, very congratulations on your diaconate. It's so beautiful now you are now able to face the challenges that we have been facing as the people that are carry the world. And also the managing director for the Radio Tadeus is a very wonderful guy. I thank you all. I, I enjoyed, I missed you. I have been so much proud of you. I used to tell them, Man, this is one of the radio. When I try to say hi, they say hello. <laughs> well, thank you, Father Uche. And we're going to have to take a short break. And on the other side, we will be talking to Deacon Frank Ashley about marriage preparation. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Red Sea Roundup. I'm your host, Deacon Mike Beauvais, and we are welcoming Deacon Frank Ashley from St. Thomas Aquinas. How are you, Deacon? I'm doing great, Deacon Mike. Just glad to be here. It is wonderful to have you. Uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about marriage preparation. Uh, our culture, marriage is constantly in the news for reasons other than the things that we would like to talk about. But I think uh, by it being in the news, it's important to talk about why the Catholic Church puts so much emphasis on proper marriage preparation and, of course, uh, why it has to be done right by the people doing it. So before we get too much into that, how long have you been a deacon? Uh, just celebrated my 10th anniversary last year. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And have you been doing marriage preparation the entire time, or did you start before you were ordained? Almost 25 years ago. Almost Whoa. 25 years ago. 
So you've seen a lot of couples come through preparing for marriage. Yes, I have. Uh, my wife and I began uh, by participating on a weekend retreat with marriage couples here at St. Mary's, believe it or not. Oh. Uh, you know, we were mixed faith before I converted to Catholicism. So uh, we did a, a talk on communication skills. And then we were sponsor couples for mostly mostly couples that were mixed faith couples. And that's important that uh, couples coming into a marriage, especially coming from two different faith backgrounds, that they have an example of that it can work, of yeah, what that looks like. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And I see it even more now uh, working with the couples that uh, that we have today. What exactly does a Catholic marriage preparation program look like? I mean, I realize they vary from parish to parish in some of the parts, but there is a sort of theme to how they're put together. Well, I think the first thing that everyone has to understand is in the Catholic Church, marriage is more than a wedding day. We, it's a lifelong vocation, and it's a sacrament. That's, that's something that everyone has to understand. It's not just going to the local person to get married or just a, a, a special. It is a sacrament. It's very special, and it's a lifelong commitment. Uh, therefore, uh, in our diocese, in the Austin diocese, we have several requirements that a couple uh, must fulfill in order to, have, to get married uh, here in the Catholic Church. First of all, they have to have an initial conversation with a priest or a deacon. They can start that in the parish, their, their home parish, the parish where they're living, but they, they need to sit down and, and really discuss this, this sacrament that they're about to participate in. And this needs to be done six months to a year away from the wedding date. That's a long time. That that really shocks a lot of people because they think that they can just go and talk to a priest and deacon and, and get married in a month or so. But there is a, there are a lot of other steps that they have to fulfill. So after they meet with a priest and deacon, what a priest and deacon will usually do is fill out papers like a prenuptial agreement. Uh, they'll do affidavit, give them affidavits that they can have people uh, sign to say that these two people are okay to get married. But that's, that was a prenuptial questionnaire, that, not a prenuptial agreement. Oh, right? excuse me. <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> Thank you very much for that correction right there. <laughs> that's an important correction right there. It just shows even after 20 years, you still make mistakes. <laughs> but after they do that, then uh, the couple will take a personal relationship assessment. Uh, there are two that our diocese recommends, uh, focus are prepare and enrich. Uh, in our parish, we just changed to the prepare and enrich, which I love. I love. It's an instrument that uh, that the couples take. They take it separately. And what it does, it, it really helps them take a look at their relationship. Uh, I could go in the, I could talk about that for for a long time. As a matter of fact, I love this instrument so much. What we're looking at doing in our parish at St. Thomas Aquinas is uh, letting married couples take it. If you remember going through the diaconate, 
you took it. You and your wife took it. Yes, we did. <laughs> it's it's such a great instrument, but uh, they do have to do a personal assessment. Uh, the third thing in our diocese is the couple is assigned a mentor couple. This is someone that uh, that's active in the Catholic faith. They've been married. Uh, preferably, they go to the same church. Uh, and what they do is they help that couple along their journey as far as preparation. Uh, fourthly is they have to attend a discernment retreat. Uh, these are usually weekend retreats. Uh, we offer them at our parish. I know that St. Mary's offers them all the, all the time. And, and once again, this is how my wife and I initially got involved in marriage preparation. And then the fifth thing that they have to do is they have to take a natural family planning course. Uh, they can take an introduction course or the whole course. And once again, it's offered either at the parish or even at the diocese level. And once again, I know that St. Mary's uh, offers this also. And uh, a, a last thing that we ask couples to do is stay connected to the parish. You know, once they get married, uh, if they if they move out of town, get connected or involved in another parish. But it's it's all it's so important that they stay connected to the parish. I think while all of them are vitally important to preparing the couples, that last step is vitally important to keeping them connected to their faith throughout their marriage. And and that's that's so important because when I meet with couples, I explain to them that. This isn't just a union of two people. It's really three people. It's the male, the female, and God. And I explained to him, you know, if you look at a rope with three strains, that bond is so much tighter, so much stronger. So they need to keep God in that relationship. And for us as Catholics, that really is the definition of what makes that sacramental marriage, is that bond with God, that the couple becomes one but never loses that connection to the guiding hand of God in their marriage because when that goes, it is harder to have a sacramental relationship. That, that is so true. And, and another thing, too, no matter what problems they have, you know, if it's communication, they can always go to God. They can, he's, he's always going to be there in good times and bad. He's always going to be there for them. Especially in today's culture where, I mean, we hear of marriages in Hollywood that are counted in length by the number of days they lasted rather than <laughs> years. Why is marriage preparation so important? Well, once again, uh, if you look at a sacramental marriage, the couple is entering a sacramental a covenant. It's a covenant. It's not a contract. You know, other marriages are really just contracts. It's a contract between two people, and you know contracts can be broken. But a covenant, when we look at the covenant God made with us, I will be your God and you will be my people. No matter how bad we are, he is still our God. <laughs> and he is still, we are still going to be his people which is totally different than, you know, I get mad at you, I don't like something you do, so this contract's over with. But a sacramental marriage is a covenant. 
versus a contract. And I think that's what's so important. And, and I try to make couples understand that, that they're making a lifelong commitment. Usually when I do the session on marriage for RCIA, I always remind couples or individuals considering marrying that from a covenantal perspective, it is never a 50-50 relationship. <laughs> It is always the understanding that it's zero, hundred, hundred, zero, <laughs> because at some point it is possible the other is not able to do anything to contribute to the marriage, and that doesn't break the covenant. This, again, is shown by God's relationship with Israel throughout the Old Testament. Even when Israel didn't do anything to uphold the covenant, God was still faithful. And that's what marriage is intended to mirror. That's, that's exa- you're, you're so right. There, because I, you know, and I talk to couples about the difference between this romantic love and romant and uh, and really uh, mature love, and I say, you know, that 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 that's that's the love that God has for us. You know, I I sort of joke with him. I say, you know, when you look at this guy right here, and he's gone ball, and he has a beer belly, you know, that romantic love probably won't be there anymore. <laughs> but you know, it's that mature love that you develop through a sacramental marriage. And I think this is why, again, the Catholic definition of love is so different from this world's, that whole notion that love is wanting the good of the other for the sake of the other, not for what you're getting out of it. It's for what the other is getting out of it. It's, it's true. It's, it's, the, it's the love that Christ has for us, the love that Christ has for the church. You know, and, and as I said, there are so many times when when we do things that that we think that well, well he there's no way he could love me because of this. No. He still loves me and he will always love me. And that's the that's the love that the spouses have for each other. And that's such a beautiful example of what we should be striving for in our marriages. And this uh is one of the things that marriage preparation is intended to communicate to the couples. I know it. You know, I've, uh, you know, I, I, I've had several weddings where I witnessed weddings and the parents have come and they said, you know, they, our kids talked to us about the preparation that they had. And, and we really wish that we would have had that in our marriage. Cause that, that could have prevented so many problems. If, you know, if we would have, just the things they talked to us about, about what you talk to them, they they just, they're totally amazed. And I think this goes back to you saying that you're considering doing the prepare and rich for couples that are already married because it allows them to go back and look at, you know, this is a conversation we probably should have had, but didn't when we were preparing for marriage. Maybe You're so right. And that's, that, that's what we are really praying and hoping we could do at our parish and, and it's something we can start maybe in, in the whole deanery is having, um, you know, just letting couples volunteer to take, prepare and rich, and then just having a retreat where we, we discuss it. Uh, I just think it'll be so valuable. I love that idea. And especially doing it, you know, deanery wide or at least Bryan College Station, you know, where, you know, you don't have to take the instrument at the same time, but you have a date set where by which time everybody has it done. And then you come to the retreat and you just talk about it. And that's, that's one thing I love so much about this change of us going to prepare and rich. 
the way it's designed is each person fills out, you know, their section as far as their demographics and, and everything. And then the instrument is designed according to the couples. So uh, two Catholic individuals will get a different survey from an interfaith couple. Someone who's younger and uh, and on an older spouse, uh, once again, their survey would be different. Um, I I'm working with couples now uh, that you know one person may have had a kid, so they're getting a total instrument from everyone else. So that's the thing. I, I the beauty of preparing enrich. It's designed uh, according to the couples. You mentioned that you've been doing this for 25 years. How do you see the perspective of couples coming to you for marriage preparation being different from what it might have been in the past? Have you noticed the difference, or is it pretty much still the starry-eyed optimism before it becomes delusioned by everyday life? You know, I using the instrument that I'm using now, I'm starting to see more of the the people who uh I guess the biggest thing is when we go through that and I'll say well he said this and she said this and they'll look at each other and they'll agree. You know, in the past they would deny it. Oh well no, I'm not like that. But I think the 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 couples are more in tune to to some of the problems that they already have. That's an interesting point. I, I had not thought that, and but in a way, I, I can see how that might be, that couples are, I don't want to say jaded, but more aware of the shortcomings of the, our world and, of course, our individual uh, lives. You know, another thing I'm seeing, too, and I this is unusual. I am seeing couples that, have known each other for five, 10, 15. I had one couple, they went to elementary school together. You know, it's, it's not, well, I just met her last month and we decided uh, last you know year and we decided we we're going to get married, but I'm seeing a lot of couples that, that have been together for, as I said, five, six, seven, eight years. And I think, uh, this is one of the things I noticed Pope Francis was talking about, that there is a relationship formed in a lot of these instances prior to the marriage, and there needs to be attention paid to that reality in the marriage preparation process, but also acknowledging the worth of that relationship prior to coming in. Yeah, I, I think that's important. You know, I think back to my wife and I— uh, you know, before my wife and I even started dating, we were just friends. And we, we played tennis together. and everything. So we developed that relationship with each other. And uh, it, 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 uh, the marriage grew out of we – were, we were good friends first. And, and, I, and I talked to couples about that. You know, not only is this is your spouse, but this should be your friend. This should be the person who you can talk to about, about anything and everything. And uh, – the biggest thing that I deal with is when I see that they have these vast differences, I, I, I ask, well, have you talked about these? And most of it, well, no, we just sort of avoid it. And I talk to them about how important it is to, to, to talk to each other. 
I mean, communication is such a key, such a key to success. Because if you have financial problems, if you have uh, conflict, if you can talk, if you can sit down and talk about it, and also bring God, pray about it, pray about it. And uh, I think this is one of the reasons why the preparation process is so lengthy, is because in a short period of time, you may not allow enough time for people to reflect on some of these issues that are brought up in the prepare and rich or focus, Yeah. where, you know, maybe three meetings later, all of a sudden somebody says, oh, by the way, you know, we need to talk about this because I've been thinking about this. Yeah. You know, one thing, I, I the beauty of our church, just the beauty of our church, looking at our preparation, uh, whether it's marriage prep or whether it's baptismal prep, uh, last weekend we had a baptismal prep class, and two weeks ago we had it together in God's love. And it's one of those things that people complain about having to go to, but it's amazing. After it's over, they come back, they said, Deacon, you know, I really didn't want to go to that, and I can't believe my fiancé drugged me to that, but that was I loved it so much. It was such a great weekend. It's the exact same thing with baptism. You mean I got to go to a class for my kid to get baptized or to be a godparent? Why do I have to do this? But after the, after the class, they go, I just didn't realize. I mean, the, 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 how beautiful this sacrament is and what we're actually doing. So uh, that that's one thing I, I really love. I, I love to see that. I guess it goes back to my old faculty days. You know, someone sitting in class, and all of a sudden you see the light bulb come on, and you go, oh, that's why we're sitting in this class. I see the same thing in RCIA. People that, you know, at first you tell them, you know, it's going to take a while. And they go, why? All I want to do is (laughs) receive the sacraments. Well, that's not the way it works. And, you know, you're two-thirds of the way through and all of a sudden the light bulb goes off and now they want more. Yeah. And, you know, what do I do after this? Because I don't want this to stop. You, and know, I, go I was, ahead. Uh, you know, you you think about the light bulb. If I could just tell a story of, of my light bulb, you know, I, I still remember, uh, you know, right when I was married, right after I was married, um, as I said, I was, I was a different religion. I was Baptist. Uh, Janice was Catholic. And uh, when 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 we were about to have our first child, I remember coming to uh, Father Mike, who's Bishop Mike now here at St. Mary's, and uh, and I had been coming here to St. Mary's, and I, I I went in to say, you know, Father Mike, uh, uh, I think I, I want to join the Catholic Church, and he he goes, why? I said, well, you know, we're about to have our first child and everything, and I I just think that you know we need to all go to the same church. And I'll never forget, downstairs, Father Mike said, that's not a good reason. Come back when you have a better reason. So I left just totally insulted, you know, because I was used to, well, if you want to be a we'll, we'll dunk you, whatever. And, uh, I, and a couple of months later, I came back and I said, Father Michael, I said, I, I, I wanted you on the case. He said, why? I said, because I come here every Sunday. I, I sing the songs. I say all the prayers, but I can't receive the Eucharist. Something's missing. He goes, okay, 
let's put you in RCA. But that's the, that's that light bulb that comes because once again, you you really understand the sacrament, and that's what we try to do in marriage prep is to for people to understand the sacrament. I mean, even in baptism, we we ask the parents, "Do you understand what you're asking?" So I that that's the beauty of our church, and really marriage preparation. You hope for that epiphany. You hope for that moment in the couples where they go, no, this is not just a marriage. This is a sacrament. Yeah, and and once again, you know, once again, just trying to explain to people what a sacrament is. You know, it's 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 an outward sign of something that's happening inside. And and when you accept that that you know, some people look at marriage as it's an outward. It's just something you do. It's a process that you do. It's, it's you, you sign this contract. But once again, it being a sacrament, there's something internally happening. You are saying that you, my my fiance and I, are inviting Christ to be a part of this. It, it's something internally that's happening. Well, and just the sheer awesomeness of being called to show God's love to the other and as a couple showing that unconditioned love to the world around you. And ultimately, this is the whole point of marriage is that as a covenant, as a sacrament, you're representing God to the world. And you can't just do that by saying yes. You have to realize that's what you're doing. Yeah, and when I when I have the the honor of of uh, of being at a, at a marriage ceremony, you know, if I when I speak to the to the couple, you know, in the homily, you know, I and I, and I talk to everyone else there. I said, you know, uh, there are a lot of gifts that you can give this couple right here. I said, but the greatest gift that you could give them is to be an example an example of the sacrament of marriage, an example that, yes, this is a sacrament. Yes, you can be together for 30, 40, 50, 60, until death do you part. You can be an example of the love that you have for each other and the love that Christ has for everyone. Which brings up one of the challenges in our culture today. There are so few of these examples. (laughs) And, you know, when I was young, my grandparents were married forever. It, you know, they got married and till death do you part. And that was the understanding of marriage. Yes, we knew there were divorces. Now divorces are almost the norm. You look around and 50%, and I'm willing to bet it's probably higher than that. You keep hearing 50%, but of all marriages end. And so what kind of example is that showing to young couples preparing for marriage? So how do you address that in marriage preparation, telling them they need to be different? Well, you know, first of all, it's, it's you know, when we do the, the prenuptial questionnaire, you know, we, there are specific questions we ask. And, and, you know, and people say, well, you don't know if they're telling the truth. Well, it's, it's true. But, you know, once again, either a deacon or a priest has to go fill out the questionnaire, which means they are talking to a priest or deacon when they do this. And one of the questions is, you know, do you understand? You know, this is a lifelong commitment. Do you 
commit to the person for life and everything. Uh, so it's stated up front. Do you have any questions? Do you have any concerns about this? And for me, I just really look at the body language of the people whenever I fill those out. You know, someone's starting to squirm. You know, I, well, wait a minute now. Do you, let's, let's think about this. You know, if, if you don't want to do this right now, you know, we, we, can, we can do this later on. You know, is there any coercion to do this? Um, and, and, you know, and then once again, during the, the, the Together in God's Love, uh, during the the focus or the the the, the prepare and rich, also um, in the ceremony too, you know. And before before the the wedding, I usually go talk to the bride and the groom. You know, the bride's in her little. I said, okay, now, we're, I just need to know. <laughs> I just need to know. You know this this is for life. Yeah. This is for life. And it. It really is a wonderful sacrament because it is, as all sacraments are, a commitment for life. I am, be it baptism, be it confirmation, be it the Holy Eucharist, it is a commitment that I am part of God's family. And marriage is I am an example of God's family. And by doing this, I am saying, I am telling everyone out there, Yes, you're seeing this act right here, but there's something happening inside of us. There, God is God is dwelling and acting inside of us, and what we're doing is we are actually saying that yes, Jesus, come in and be a part of this. And 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 in tough times, we're going to need you. At times when I can't go talk to my 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 parents or whatever. I'm going to need you, and and we are relying on you to be with us through this whole journey that we're on right now. And I think this is, you know, the challenge for couples to recognize how much God needs to be part of the relationship and also how much the lifetime commitment in a way, makes it easier because even when hard times come, you know they're going to go away and you're still going to be together. Whereas in modern-day marriages where, you know, at the drop of a hat, well, we're done because we have irreconcilable differences. And for us Catholics, there is no such thing. Yeah, I like that, irreconcilable differences. I, my wife and I have that all the time. <laughs> you know, but we're we're still together. <laughs> there are some times we just agree to disagree, <laughs> and I think that's the way every marriage is. I mean, it's you know, it's and once again, that's that's moving from that romantic love where where everything's perfect to 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 understand that you know there there are going to be some times. You know, I'm just thinking of one of the questions on Prepare and Rich that says that uh, you know. If we just spend more time together, it'll solve every problem that we have. Exactly. And a lot of them say yes, and I have to just do a deep dive into that just to say, you know, uh, you know, for the last three years I've been working out of town, so I was out of town, you know, four days a week, and now I'm at home every day, and sometimes my wife just goes, I wish you'd leave the house. <laughs> Please get out of here, just that time, it, it doesn't work that way all the time. It's one of the things that, especially given our political climate, 
has come to the forefront in my mind. I know couples that have been married for years and years. One's a Democrat, one's a Republican. <laughs> and for the world to me, given what's happening out there today, I can't imagine them making it work, but I so admire that they oh, do. Yeah. It, it's the whole thing about there's some things you just don't talk about. Exactly. There's some things you don't talk about. But that's a skill, too, that you need to learn. And marriage preparation needs to at least address the possibility that you're going to have things that you're not going to agree on, and it doesn't end the marriage. And that's, you know, and, and that, that's one thing I love. I love to talk about communication. As I said, that used to be one of the things that, that I do here in Marriage Prep at St. Mary's. And, uh, you know, it's the problem comes in when you've got someone that's a very open communicator and the other person just doesn't want to say anything. And it's it's so funny. It's it's not funny. Yes, it is funny. <laughs> but talking to couples, because uh, one of them will say, and it's usually the female will say, well, you know, if I got a problem, I want to talk about it then. And the guy goes, well, you know, I, I'm the kind of person I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> And I said, okay, guys, you, you do realize you have this problem. Yeah, we realize we have it. Well, maybe you need to sort of meet meet each other in the middle. I said, now, uh, and I'll just say Mark. Mark, you need to understand that that sometimes you just need to listen. And, you know, you, you see, even though you want to put it off, you just need to listen. So it, it's the whole thing about understanding. Yes, and getting to know each other. I want to thank you very much. We've only scratched the surface of this. We could probably do another show on this, but I want to thank you very much for coming in. Um, thank you for your ministry, and thank you for helping prepare couples for marriage. It's extremely important. Well, Deacon Mike, thank you very much. And anytime you want me to come back, as you can tell, I get excited talking about marriage prep. So. Yes, well, we may want to do this again. Um and I want to thank all our listeners out there. I hope this was great for you. Please remember to join us next week. Our host will be Gene Wilhelm. And until then, when calculating the many ways you might share your time, talent, and treasure with the people of God, always round up. <laughs>